Hi. New York, New York, 10036. Pro country. What you see is what you get. Hell has no fury. He drives the most expensive car because second best never enters his mind. Of all the billions of planets in space, only one is off limits to man. It all began with a curse. The evil you did this day will be avenged. A curse. From the mists of infinity, they come, rising from the cold, damp earth to take what is now theirs. You are in a room filled with your friends, but they are all dead. Night, when the earth is quiet and the good people of the world are sleeping. The night visitor comes to call. The streets have been taken over by thieves, dope addicts, rapists, muggers. We live in fear. One man is doing something about it. These are the sounds of six feet of silver death. Grindhouse Purgatory, 42nd Street, Pete. It's time to delve back into the depths of the purgatory that is the Grindhouse with 42nd Street, Pete. Well, Happy New Year. Is it? Is it really such a Happy New Year, though? Well, no, I just felt I had to send my, you know, say, well, you know, what are you obligated to say Happy New Year? Well, you know, some, for some people, maybe it is a Happy New Year. I don't know. Well, for me, what always makes me happy in, in a new year is when I see all of the old, I guess we'll call them Grindhouse movies, coming to Blu-ray and DVD and all that, because... We get a lot of people that listen to this show message us, Pete. The films that you talk about specifically are films that a lot of them have never heard of, and we're turning people on to these. So for a while now, we're going to look at certain subgenres of the Grindhouse. Tonight, I want to look at... Now, everyone knows Italian exploitation. You know, you have the 2020 Texas Gladiators and 2019 After the Fall of New York, Warriors of the Wasteland, you've got Alien 2 on Earth and all this stuff. What a lot of people forget is... There were a lot of American rip-off exploitation movies from this era, weren't there? Yeah, well, you know, you, I'll give you one that comes to mind right away. Piranha was a Jaws rip-off, which is smaller fish. Piranha was a fantastic movie, too. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, hell, Corman, Forbidden World, and Galaxy of Terror were both clear alien cash-ins. Oh, of course. I, I actually like Forbidden World better. It, it, just is, it just has that back-alley sleaze factor going on that the other one didn't have. I'll agree with you on that, but I like the the James Cameron production design and the effects. I like the style of Galaxy of Terror better. Like, one of the ones I was thinking of was when Carrie came out. Obviously, you had you had some Italian ripoffs, but what a lot of people forget is Jennifer the Snake Goddess is an absolute Carrie knockoff, and so is, who else remembers Piper Laurie in Ruby? Ruby! Ruby, yeah, the driving one. I, I had that. I, I ran that at the drive-in I was, I was working at. They ran that. When they find Len Lesser in the Coke machine and everything. I actually prefer Jennifer the Snake Goddess myself because it, it's so blatant and it's, in uh, it's going, you know what? Yeah, this is Carrie as an exploitation film. Yeah. It, was it a has Canadian no pretensions. It, it was a Canadian one too, I think, called Kathy's Curse, if I remember right too. There was Kathy's Curse. But, I mean, what are some of the other American grindhouse, okay, rip-off might not be the right word, cash-ins? 
to the big yeah, films. Sure. You know, you had Star Wars and the Road Warrior and Alien, oh, Star- and, and of well, course Dirty well, Harry well, and all that well, earlier. I'll give in the you a 70s. Star Wars, a Star Wars one. Something that Corman was involved in, uh, I believe it was written by John Sayles, which was basically a Star Wars ripoff and a Magnificent Seven ripoff, Battle Beyond the Stars, and it actually had, uh, unfortunately he just passed away, Robert Vaughn reprising the same character he did in the Magnificent Seven. Again, James Cameron doing the metal work and production design for that movie. So, you know, that that was a good one. Dirty Harry ripoffs. There was a bunch of shit going on, um... You know, it, it, not not that this is a ripoff. Uh, I'm just thinking about this today. Uh, it's a very oh, you know, actually, I think Dark Sky just put this back out. It's called The Human Factor. It came out the year after Death Wish, but unfortunately, it was acquired by Branston Pictures. We all know about them. Branson. So, oh, oh Bryanson. We, should, we should go into some detail in case people don't know about Branson. Branson was. The mob. It was the per- the Pirano mob family yeah, the running. People that, the people that brought you Deep Throat and Devil and Miss Jones tried to get involved in, quote, legit motion pictures so they could use it as a tax dodge because they figured they'd lose money. Well, they picked up the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, Andy Warhol's Dracula, a, bu- a couple of Milligan films, and they fucked everybody. That's how they got busted because... The, the IRS nailed them, you know, on, on a tax dodge because these movies made money. They never paid anybody. Their their whole attitude was, oh, you want to get paid? I'll break your fucking knees. That's what they told uh, Gerard Damiano. But one of the pictures that they had acquired was this picture called The Human Factor with George Kennedy in, a, in an almost, you know, it was a vigilante type thing where his, his family was killed, but they were killed by terrorists this time. And he goes through this whole fucking thing about tracking them down, trying to figure out who they are. And when it's time for the cops to move in, he don't call the cops. And he turns around and he goes, they killed my fucking kids. And then he goes after them. Probably if that had come out in theaters, you know, wide, that would have made Kennedy as big a star as Bronson was. And see, I seem to remember that I saw that on like basic TV, like, you know, UHF television in like the eighties or early nineties. They ran it on cable for filler. They, they, they had a bunch of stuff they had picked up. Um, that was one of them. Assault on Precinct 13 was one. Uh, the Boogans was one. This was just, this was before HBO started making their own, you know, programming. They were graving anything they fucking could just for filler. But you, you had certain companies like Bryanson. They very much were an American rip-off exploitation. Everything, they rip off everybody. <laughs> well, okay, in the literal sense, yes, because I remember reading something from Gunnar Hansen where he says he's never received, received a single residual from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and he's like, it's the mob. Who am I going to complain to? Yeah, and, you know, here's the weird part, you know, and not that this is funny, but a company I worked for um before I left Jersey, one of the guys told me that was, uh, I guess he was a partner or something, that one of the, one of the, Perinos came nosing around like it was back in the 70s trying to get in. And they said, no, no, boy, it don't, don't work that way anymore. No, it doesn't work that way. He must have just got out of jail or something and was trying to worm his way into some kind of adult shit. But, nah, it don't work that way. Well, and then, you know, the, the speaking of the mob, I don't think it was the Perinos, but the mob are kind of the reason that porn films have a copyright on them. Because prior to Behind the Green Door, you could not copyright pornographic material because it was not considered an actual work of art. So when the mob started bootlegging behind the green door from the Mitchell brothers, they had no legal recourse because the film was non-copyrightable. So they actually had to go to court to get the right to copyright behind the green door to stop the mob from bootlegging it. 
Well, no, no, you're talking about bootlegging in the actual film print, not a VHS or anything like right, that. Right, yeah, they were bootlegging the film print and showing yeah. it in theaters and not giving the Mitchells any of the money. The mob was saying, this film has no copyright, so we can do anything we want. We don't owe you anything. Well, it wasn't only that, because it really didn't matter, because the same thing happened with Deep Throat and Devil and Louis Jones, which started a war. And, and a lot of the stag films that you bought, um, especially like the Lassie Brown stuff, there, there would be all of a sudden a photo on a white box where they, they duped the film. I don't know exactly how they, they duped film from film or whatever. I'm not even going to, you know, attempt to explain that because I don't really know. But I do know that the whole thing was a gray area because everything was semi-legal, illegal, whatever. You, you know, it was like the whole VHS thing. I mean, they were bootlegging all this VHS stuff, and it was like a gray area because nobody really knew who to run to. Now, the only prosecution I know that worked was... um that Evil Angel stuff, oh, God, what the hell were the titles? Uh, Evil Angel, the John Stagliano, Buttman, that was it, Buttman, the Buttman series. All right, what happened was they were doing these in New York. They were bootlegging them right down to the box. Usually bootleggers didn't give a shit, but they were doing right down to the box, right down to the colored tape casing, right down to the gold label, the whole bit. Sometimes the box was a little off. Well, they took it to court in New York, and they went before a judge, and as luck would have it, uh, his court clerk was a big fan of this stuff, and they had a little conference, and John Stagliano beat these fuckers in court, and that sort of opened the door where, you know, you, you could get away with stuff. But when it comes to porn, you know, it, it's so much even still of a gray area about who rips off who, because it still goes on today. People are constantly ripping off each other. This was the big Italian thing. How did the Italian movies, and I'm not talking the cannibal films, we've, we've done enough on that. Stuff yeah. like 2019 After the Fall of New York and 2020 Texas Gladiators, Warriors of the Wasteland, Alien 2 on Earth, the behind the, well, I'll leave the behind the doors and stuff separate for now. But the obvious Italian stuff, the dubbed stuff, the obvious ripoff stuff, how did those play at a grindhouse? I mean, did, did you guys know that you were seeing an Escape from New York ripoff or did you care? Well, they, you know, they anglicized all, all the posters and, you know, the credits. So, you know, and of course, like, you know, like the big thing was, and this even went back to the spaghetti westerns, if you could get an American name to slap on, on the marquee, you were gold because people would think, you know, it was American film. You know, don't forget, you know, they showed this. This was late 70s, early 80s still where, you know, you were still showing these films to a bunch of fucking dope heads, basically. You know, we were all in there fucking stoned out of our fucking mind, drunk out of our fucking mind. Yeah, to me, it would register because... You know, when they were, when they were dubbing these things over here, it was, it was always the same four or five people dubbing all these films. Occasionally, you know, you get Fred Williamson to do his, his own thing. I pretty much, I think, you know, I was reading something about this. Lee Van Cleef said he always dubbed his own, he always voiced his own stuff. Fred Williamson always voiced his own stuff. A lot, a lot of the American actors would voice their own stuff, but a lot of guys were in there for like a one shot, maybe one scene and then booked. So they would always have to dub them in. So. You, you sort of knew, but you really didn't give a fuck. Well, because, but then you have the other aspect of, I don't even know if I would consider these Italian movies, where you had the stuff mainly by Avidito Asinitis. Asinitis made like The Visitor, Tentacles, the Behind yeah. the Door movies and all that. These yeah. were shot in America with American casts and Italian crews and Italian money. Yeah. So does that make it an Italian movie or an American movie? Because they're not dubbed. It's actual Italian. It's it's American actors, but the whole crew is Italian. So like even like like Troll Two and that. What are those? Are those like a weird Italian American hybrid? 
because they're yeah. shot in America. They take place in America with yeah, well, American cast for American audiences, but Italian money and Italian crews. Yeah, but don't forget also, go, you know, you don't want to talk about the cannibal movies, but guess what? We're going to have to because when you go back to all them, the openings of all the cannibal movies were all shot in fucking Manhattan. So they would come over here and like, Okay, you're going to, you're going to go with Cannibal Apocalypse. That was Antonio Margheriti. Maybe Osario produced it. But okay, the American voices are the American actors, but all the Italian guys spoke Italian, so they had to get their, their dialogue dubbed in again. There's even they, they were doing a thing about Fistful of Dollars that every actor there spoke his own language, and then they went back and just did this whole they looped everything. Well, what about something like Behind the Door or The Visitor? where it's completely shot in English, no dubbing, American actors, Italian crew, Italian money. Is that an Italian movie then? Well, it's got an Italian money behind it, I'd say, yeah. Even though but it's that, made for the U.S. market? Well, there's probably a version made made uh, made for the Italian market or the European market. Don't, for, don't forget, you, you remember the story about Curse of Frankenstein? They shot three versions of that film. Standard version for um, Britain a little bloodier version for the U.S. and a really bloody version for Japan because that's the way it went back then. That was back in the, 50, the, the late 50s, early 60s. See, a lot of shit in Europe, even back then, was a lot of, lot freer than, you know, over here, even though we claim, you know, we're the baston of whatever. Fuck that, we're not, because you pick up Flesh and the Fiends, which was a, a Peter Cushing, Donald Pleasant's uh, thing about Burke and Hare, and it's under a bunch of other titles, the fiendish ghouls and things like that. The European version has nudity and almost uh, simulated sex in it and more violence. The American version, cut down. A lot, lot of shit. That, that's why, you know, people always say, well, you know, if you saw this in the theaters, how come you missed that? Because it wasn't in the fucking movie I saw. That's why they took it out. Is is that, is that why, like, uh, when you saw Fulci's The Beyond, or as you, you would have seen it as Seven Doors of Death, did you know what you were... I mean, like, when, when if I, I, I know we talked about it before that, you know, you could tell shit was missing. Were you all eager when it came to, like, v VHS and you were like, oh, my God, I can finally see this movie properly? Well, first off, I didn't even, I never connected um, Seven Doors of Death with the Beyond because, you know, don't forget, when all that stuff came out, all you had, you had fanzines back then. Your, your basic monster magazine, you know, except for Fangoria, wasn't covering a lot of this stuff. I'm not even sure if Fangoria was out back then. So, you know, then they had the, the, the thing on the poster, you know, Toby Hooper said it's the scariest fucking movie you ever saw or whatever the hell it was. So, yeah, you go see it. You know, you knew there was fucking cuts. There had to be cuts because some scenes just, like, you know, jumped from one thing to another. I mean, you know, the obvious one that was missing was when he blew that little girl's head right the fuck off. That was gone. The uh, the head slammed into the wall with the eyeball dangling off the fucking spike. That was gone. But they were all quick cuts. But, you know, they left enough in there. So, oh, yeah, this was really fucking great. It was like, make them die slowly. Giovanni Radici's dick off. That was a real fucking quick cut. I mean, you saw the machete go down. You saw what you thought was a cock. But that was like a second. Then that leads us into kind of the bootleg scene, the VHS scene. Because when I was a video bootlegger in the 90s, one of my biggest sellers was always the uh, Italian exploitation movies uncut. That, yeah. you know, because, you know, DVD is still in its infancy at this point. It, might, it didn't even exist for a while while I was doing this. And then it's in, in, in its infancy. So the beyond and things like that are not coming out uncut. Gates of Hell and all that. So yeah. I remember those were always some of my biggest sellers. And they almost always came from Japanese Laserdisc prints. Yo, I knew guys who used to fly to Japan and bring this shit back and copy it. 
I mean, you know, for a while, Cannibal Hole, of course, the only, that was the only copy you could get that was uncut, and even that had the nudity glitched out. You know, here's some chick with a fucking pole up her ass coming out of her, her mouth, but we can't see this guy's uh, whatever the fuck's going on here, you know? Well, Japanese but, are fucking weird. <laughs> I used to say no, the, the, the Japanese are fucking weird. But then, let me ask this then. What about when Japanese prints are the only ones that exist? Like like the Red Brown, the Red Brown Bruno Matai movie, Robo War. There are no known prints that do not have hard-coded Japanese subtitles on them. There's huh. got to be a print out there of this fucking movie, Pete, that does that is not sourced from a Japanese VHS. Nobody has found it yet. How is there no print of Robo War that does not have hard-coded Japanese subtitles? Well, how is how come nobody's ever come up with a print of Three on a Meat Hook? The only existing fucking source material for that film is a VHS tape right now. No one has ever come up with a fucking 35 or 16 millimeter print of Three on a Meat Hook. And th- that's the thing that boggles my mind, especially with with the bootlegging scene. How did nobody run across these? I mean, you have all these film collectors who have all these things, like Robo War. I would love to see that movie without Japanese fucking subtitles. Or do you remember? Do you remember the the Indiana Jones Italian ripoff Ark of the Sun God? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember it's kind of, sort of, not really, almost, maybe, sort of sequel Hunters of the Golden Cobra? Yeah. Try finding a print of that without fucking Japanese subtitles on it. Or VHS tape. Yeah, because it's off of a Japanese VHS. And it's like, well, to make that Japanese VHS, somebody had to have a fucking print. Where is it? Somebody has to find a print of these movies. They have to exist, don't they? Yeah, but you know what it, you know what it is? Don't forget, people undervalued all this shit when it first came out. They never thought it was worth anything more than whatever they were going to make on a fucking theatrical run, or, you know, or a TV sale. They never envisioned VHS. They never envisioned DVDs. They never envisioned any of this shit. Like I say, there's a lot of shit that's lost. Like, I was waiting and waiting and waiting for Warner Archives to put out the corrupt ones because they released it. They didn't. I had to buy a German Blu-ray. And for me to spend 40 fucking dollars on anything means I really wanted the fucker. And well, that and this, and you're talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is almost like a pre pre Raiders of the Lost Ark thing, looking for you know lost treasure hidden under Macau somewhere. All kinds of fucking shit. People get tortured with acid and blow torches and shit. Gunfights, sword fights, kung fu shit. Uh, El, uh, Robert Stack, Elkie Summer, Nancy Kwan, uh, Werner Peters, uh, Christian Marquand. Great fucking cast. Nobody ever fucking released it over here, except on a fucking VHS tape from Adco Embassy. That's the only way it was ever released over here, besides its theatrical run. And I saw the motherfucker when it first came out. It had to be like maybe 65. Like I, I cut school just to disappear and went up in the grindhouse and saw this. And of course was playing with the second best secret agent in the whole wide world, which I had seen four fucking times before that, because it always went out of playing with something. This fucking thing impressed me, and then I got the fucking tape, and I'm like, how come nobody put this out on a fucking DVD? I'm, I'm happy I got this goddamn blu-ray for 40 bucks because the film looks fucking great again with missing prints oasis of the zombies is out there print even on the blu-ray is still not the best go back to charles band's zombie thon one of those comp tapes he did in the early 80s yeah right yeah and he shows clips of it which are looking better than the blu-ray so clearly at some point charles band had an amazing print of oasis of the zombies and you have to wonder so where is it then? Then he put it out on Wizard Video under a different name. I I don't remember if he put out Oasis or not. I've somebody put it out and somebody else put it out as blood sucking Nazi zombies. 
Okay, I've only ever seen it as Oasis of the Zombies. No, somebody. Well, yeah, there was no copyright in the fucking thing. One, one of these rip-off thieves put it out as um, a VHS tape was blood-sucking Nazi zombies with a fucking skull with a you know an SS hat on. Before we leave tonight, I also do want to point out that you were looking for a movie a couple of weeks ago with the the the, the slice in the head and the the acid or something like that. Right. Jungle and, Jungle Heat was the name of it. Uh, that's what I was going to say. One of our listeners came through. They knew what movie you were talking about, and they were able to ID it. So we got to give them props, man. Yeah, pretty good. I had a funny feeling that was the title, but I was confusing it with another thing that Peter Fonda was in. It had something to do with the jungle. So I wasn't I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but yeah, that's definitely in the movie. Oh, another one. Um, I was looking for this Lee Van Cleef film. Uh, uh, mean Frank and Crazy Tony, which had been released as Power Killer and released as Escape from Death Row in horribly mutilated fucking conditions. Well, somebody else popped up on Facebook, and I'm going to be watching that tonight because I got the Italian version. It's 97 minutes long instead of 78 minutes long. And, and I, I just want to give a shout out to Jules Grinder for finding that movie for you because I, I think that they deserve it. They went above and beyond for Pete, which shows you you really do have listeners that care. Cool. Thank you, Jules. Appreciate that. So on that note, where can people find you if they wish to, you know, if they wish to inform you of things? Well, I'm on Facebook under my real name, or you can email me at 40deuce at hotmail.com. Um, working on something a little, you know, I did a movie in 2015. We decided to uh, release it ourselves, so I will let people know. Actually, I'm going to send Josh a copy and let him review it so he can tear me in the asshole. So, but if he likes it, then maybe we can do something here. So it's interesting. It's not a horror film. It's, it actually won a third place in a film festival as best crime film. And again, happy new year, really. Do something. Get fucked up. Don't kill yourself. This has been a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.